0: Welcome in, everybody, to the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley.
1: I'm Cullen Munns, and we're off and running.
0: Now, Cullen, before we get off and running here, one quick announcement for the people, but let me ask you a question. Do you like free stuff?
1: Always. Free 99 is my favorite price.
0: Oh, free 99, the five-finger discount. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, fellow degenerates, we've got just that for you. Free one-month trial of the pro membership at the clubhouse. Now, some people might be wanting to know, what is the clubhouse, right? The clubhouse is provided by SBS Consulting. SBS Consulting was started in 2014 by Bob Hamer. Uh, he spent eight years with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, you may have heard of them, Mr. Munns.
1: I have I've had, have had heard of them. Uh, they've actually, if you check your local NBA standings, they're toward the top in the Western Conference
0: this year. Fresh out of the bubble, they were the team that was as hot as any, hot as the sun, you could say.
1: Ooh, I see what you did there.
0: <laughs> so uh, Mr. Hamer spent eight years with the Phoenix Phoenix Suns, left in 2014 to start SBS Consulting, uh, which does sales training and different consulting services for teams and sports organizations. The Clubhouse is the educational resource for students and sports industry professionals like ourselves uh, to to really just have a hub for networking, best practices, career growth, As a part of this pro membership, you get access to live and on demand webinars, uh, different mentorship relationships uh, with people in Mr. Hamer's network, sales training materials, specific job boards, uh, mental health resources, and much more. So if you want to take advantage of this free one month trial, head on over to clubhouse.sportsbusiness.solutions to check it out and email Bob directly at bob at sportsbusiness.solutions. Tell them the cutback sent you and get to club housing. I'm excited. Do it. So let's go ahead and jump right into the work topics of the week. Now, this was a very awesome week in sports business, especially in the sports community on social media, because uh, earlier this week on Wednesday, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was yesterday, which is Wednesday for us. It was National Women and Girls in Sports Day.
1: That is correct. It was yesterday,
0: so we got to kind of celebrate a lot of the great women in sports that we know. And we need to do. We need to take
1: a put a pin right there and shout out producer Kennedy.
0: Exactly. Uh, we, we've we've got our own. We've got our own producer Kennedy. Uh, does a lot for us and has done a lot in her career already. Although she literally like just graduated college not too long ago, up and coming superstar. That much we do know for sure. Uh, and it was cool to see on social media just different. Uh, women in the sports industry sharing their stories and sharing their careers and sharing the great work that they do do on a daily basis and nike came out with an announcement uh to kind of amplify the national women and girls in sports day by announcing that they are partnering with the nfl uh on a five million dollar initiative for a girls high school flag football league now this is this was ironic ironic's not the right word but this was something that we kind of wondered about uh, earlier in the summer when we talked about some colleges, D3 colleges, specifically getting into having flag football being a club sport on campus. And and we wanted to see it trickle down into high school sports. Lo and behold, it's already in multiple states in the United States.
1: Right. And I'm excited just because I, I'm excited to just not football like it's a because they're doing something different altogether it's a completely different sport they get to lay the groundwork and not be compared across the way to to actual to to tackle football. Um so I'm excited I'm really excited and excited to tune in.
0: Yeah and I think it's just a great opportunity to introduce more people uh to kind of the rules and some of the intricacies of football
1: but I think the exact opposite I think it it allows for way more creativity.
0: Well yes but you still are I mean to play flag football you have to learn route trees and coverages, you know, things like that, that you can then go see in the traditional game, if we want to call it that.
1: That's fair. That's fair. And I mean, and yes, you need to know the technical like techniques behind it, uh, you know, between behind throwing and and cutting and all of those things, hashtag cutback. But uh, yeah, I I mean, so that all rings true. But I think there's a lot more room for creativity in the actual play calling in the actual route trees that you can use um, and even in the defensive coverages you run. You know, as a def- former defensive guy, I'm just amazed because you're going to kind of have a more room to work. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And it, and it makes the game more accessible. Uh, and I, for one, am looking forward to the social media highlights. Uh, we
1: Amen. Talk- Say it again for the people in the back.
0: <laughs> We've already got to see some great ones from like I am flag football leagues. Uh, and, and it's always just great content. And again, to me, I think at the end of the day, it's about the accessibility and showing that. This is a sport that doesn't need to just be um, enjoyed by a certain group of people, and it can be enjoyed in various different ways and forms by various different types of people.
1: So let me ask you this, Ian, because this is what the people really want to know. Have you picked your team, your flag football team, f- for
0: the for the coming seasons? Well, at the high school level? Yeah. Go well, on. Stake your claim. Who you I got? Mean, if the Atsegal Bulldogs are going to put a team out there on the field, then that's going to obviously be my team. Uh, so you heard it here first. Um, holding you to that.
1: Are the uh, do we have inside knowledge? Are the Otsego Bulldogs getting in on this?
0: We do not. And the article I saw, Michigan is not listed in Flag Football. What we got last. Get
1: Gretch well, on the phone. Neither is Texas. It's oh, the- uh, hold on. That's not surprising.
0: I mean, I, I don't know, man. I've I've seen I've seen some good highlights out of some Texas colleges from IM flag football on the women's side but it's alaska arizona florida georgia nevada new york state there's over 300 high school teams in florida i guess we shouldn't be surprised by that
1: wow i'm i did not know that that's impressive
0: no i didn't know it either but if you were to tell me hey there's 300 girls flag football teams in a certain state florida would be one of the first guests
1: yeah mine too that that's a good point california would have been up there too
0: california florida texas maybe like a georgia what have got I, thrown from there
1: I just, I, i'm just i'm i guess i don't think texas has got the their compass down just just yet on the direction they're headed with men's and women's athletics i don't know if you've been paying, oh, so. paying attention to the court system recently
0: so in texas every the everything is bigger in texas really is texas putting the big and big good uh, treat
1: Uh, yeah, that's that. I mean, that's, there's some of those people in the, it's a big place. Uh, but I don't know if you, I mean, just to put a quick pin, the Texas courts are arguing to not allow transgender, uh, women to play in sports at all right now. So it's kind of, uh, the other way for Texas. So let's not even give them the run they don't deserve.
0: Bold move there by the Texas judicial service or uh, system. Let's stay in high school and talk about overtime. Now, overtime has grown largely as a digital platform uh, started posting highlights. They were like a highlight house on social media, on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, they've really just grown to be a digital content business around sports. And, and they really do kind of find themselves uh, in this high school niche and, and promoting high school athletes. And recently, they announced their plans to start a semi-professional high school basketball league. Uh, The announcement is expected to be formalized later this month, with the league expecting to tip off in September of 2021. They're expecting to play players. Players are not going to attend their high schools. What are your first thoughts here?
1: My first thoughts, and I don't even know, when I saw you put this in our outline, I I don't know if we talked about it on air or off. Uh, so, but we we've kind of expressed our disdain for AAU yep. to each other, and and I I just really think that the AAU system needs an overhaul from top to bottom. And I, you know, don't think it's got a monopoly on the amateur basketball market. And so my first thought was, hey, this is at least some competition to that, and maybe can kind of force AAU to compete if you will i don't know if competes the right word but you know what i'm saying um do i know do i think this necessarily will be successful i'm not ready to commit to that yet but i at least think it's going to put some pressure on aau
0: yeah and the my biggest question is how you know they're talking about being able to pay six figures to you know the players essentially I'm wondering how they figure they're going to monetize it if, if it's through traditional TV, if they're going to use players in high school who already have like millions of followers on Instagram and just monetize those followings, monetize streams. Like, because if you're going to pay these players this much, you got to be making money somewhere. So I'm more curious about how they are going to make the money to be able to, to uh, pay these salaries because let's give the LaVar LaVar his flowers, maybe with the JBL, you know, he thought he was going to be able to pay guys, but they didn't even make it through a season so is there a market for people to watch this that'll actually monetize the league in a way that they're able to pay all these guys
1: I, and see i'm really know, i think and the aaf being a prime example the xfl being a prime example these leagues that get started up i don't really think people are comprehending how much it costs to do all that and and you've kind of seen it the most recent examples through, like you mentioned, LeVar Balls, JBL, and, and the AEF, and the XFL kind of crossing sports, the league's run out of money in fold. Um, so I, I just, I think it's, if anything, it's just a marketing ploy to get people hyped up that there is going to be money behind it, you know, and not just another flop league that doesn't make it. I think that's really all that is, and it, but I just really hope they're making promises they can back up.
0: Yeah, I also thought it was interesting that they specifically mentioned that they envisioned this to be the feeder league into to the NBA. Into the G League, to the G League Select.
1: Oh, like the Ignite team. Correct. See, I I mean that would be lo- that's how it should pan out, but that that's there's so many steps and you have to grow so much bigger than to just go to get to that level. I mean, that's like a 5 year down the road. Process and that means you just have to be perfect in getting the best talent and pulling away from AAU to get sent feed those guys in and m- mind you you're also sidestepping the NCAA to feed into the to the G League so I just think that's lofty lofty aspirations and we'll see if it pans out.
0: The other thing I'm curious as you start to say, okay, so now we have the NBA, then you have this G League, which is for guys coming out of high school instead of going to college. Now this overtime. Well, it's
1: not just, it's not just for people going, coming out of high school, going that are skipping college to get, it's not just the bridge. It's more, it's turning into a minor league system for the NBA,
0: the Ignite team.
1: Oh, just the Ignite team. Yes. Okay. I thought we were talking G League at large.
0: No, my apologies. That was, uh. Me not explaining it correctly, but so you have you have the ignite team now. They want to have these, you know. I don't know how they didn't mention how many teams they would have. My guess is like how many elite high school guys do you have that could even fill a league? Like you're gonna have four or five teams maybe and play round robins. But getting to my point of okay, if they want to feed into the G League select uh, ignite team. Uh, then you have these high school teams then what do you start having middle school teams and then all of a sudden are we in like a european style club team where if you don't get selected for one of these at like 8 years old you might as well not play sports because to me that seems the most damaging
1: no i think i think it just pushes if it does take off and it does get to that point where they are the feeder into the to the ignite all it'll do is push aau down into where aaus now your middle school and lower Realm, and then you go to high school, and it's this overtime league or whatever. And your actual high school school and AAU is kind of in the back background. I I don't think it'll. I don't think we're going to get that bad. I mean, you still have the good thing that happens for basketball that doesn't necessarily happen for soccer is you have a high school that plays for their schools too. You know, so they they're still that's still going to be around. Whereas I I don't know that a whole lot of recruiting for soccer in the United States really happens at the high school level in the school, it is way more based out of those club games than it is anything
0: else. Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. Let's go ahead and move on to our next work topic here because it is Super Bowl week, uh, and we do have a little business around the Super Bowl that we can talk to, and that's about the resale ticket market. So very briefly, like the thing that drew this to me was because we've always kind of been told that the Super Bowl is – primarily a corporate event. It's not necessarily fans of either of the team that is in the Super Bowl. It's more of kind of suits, uh, whether it's people that have bought off the secondary market or gotten it through different NFL or team partnerships. Uh, So what have you kind of thought about this article that we read about the resale market and them being worried that it might go down? Uh, Just some of the economic impacts of the Super Bowl in a COVID year and in a year in which uh, the team that is hosting the stadium that is hosting their team is actually playing in the Super Bowl for the first time.
1: Yeah. So the interesting thing to me is back in 2017 when it was hosted in Houston, uh, 70% of the tickets that were sold went through a secondary ticket market. And when we say secondary ticket market, we're talking like StubHub, Ticketmaster, SeatGeek, those those services are your secondary ticket market. So 70% of the Super Bowl tickets went through those. And it's been, ever since that 17 uh, Super Bowl, it's been on the decline. Into this year, it's like an 18% of the ticket. Less than 750 tickets have been sold on secondary markets as of this recording um, for the Super Bowl. Now, uh, a lot of that could probably be explained away. The the quantity 750 could be explained away just because it's COVID and they're, you know, limited capacity this year, blah, blah, blah. And team allotments are down for the Super Bowl tickets and things like that. But uh, I think the other part that, you know, might get swept under the rug and and is that is kind of also at play here is that the NFL has their own direct to consumer ticket partner, like ticket platform, if you will, like set up. Uh, called On Location Experience, OLE for short. Um, and OLE this year, pretty much point blank just said, why in the world when we now have, we can handle all of our inventory. So we don't need, and it's more efficient for the consumer to buy it from us than it is to pay the 20% service fee at, with StubHub or with Ticketmaster, whoever. Uh, so they can just come buy it to- straight from us. Why- it doesn't make any sense for them to s- sell their tickets to these other parties and cut them in when they, when these DTC avenues can do it themselves. And I think since 2017, OLE has been growing and growing and growing. And now you're starting to see COVID it's really impacted it, but they just said, Oh, we've got our arms around this thing. We're going to do it ourselves. And so my question is, are you going to start to see it as we keep going that these secondary services are going to have to start cutting these, just exorbitant service fees they charge on their tickets in order to compete with these DTCs that are the leagues are forming themselves to actually push these packages in more that in a more efficient way to actually compete or are we even going to see StubHub go out of business because these leagues have gotten big enough to where they can provide DTC tickets without StubHub
0: yeah a couple interesting questions i i I think it's very smart by the leagues because especially for these premier games and we're talking playoff games and super bowls and championships things like that a ticket really becomes an asset for some people right like not necessarily you or i like if we were able to get our hands on one of those tickets we're going but for a lot of people it's i want to get my hands on one of those tickets so that i can use it as a business opportunity to resell for a profit right absolutely so i think these leagues are finally realizing that, hey, a lot of people are getting these tickets and just using it to sell. Um, and they are doing so through these secondary platforms and those secondary platforms are making revenue. So it's it's just dollars walking out of the NFL or of Major League Baseball, whatever it is in this sense, it's the NFL. So I think they realize that there's an opportunity there for them to cut out the middleman and and have that ticket exchange be upon their own platform. My guess is that would also allow them better data in terms of exactly who, who is getting the tickets, who's selling, and, and not because they would wanna try to stop people from selling, but just so that they can have the the data really about who's purchasing, right? Because I think some of that gets lost and gets owned by third parties. So then if you're a league or a team, if all your tickets are being ultimately resold on a secondary market, you have a false perception of who's walking into your arena because you have the data on who bought the original ticket, Correct. but then you have the data of who walks through the gate with the ticket. So I think it's great on those multiple levels. And um, I, I, I think the secondary ticket markets, I, I don't know. I, I, they would have to find a way to either um, slash their kind of markups and the cut that they take, or they would have to prove to leagues that they have a scale uh, that the leagues maybe can't reach and enter into like more official partnerships.
1: Well, and the other thing that, that yes, to both of those, I'm going to Alan Benavidez, yes. And you, um, yes. And they also, the NFL or the leagues, these, that are these platforms that they own themselves, they have the ability to add more benefits to the tickets that you buy. So they can give you some experiential, Benefit as well when you buy the ticket from them that StubHub can't give you. All StubHub can give you is the ticket and the crisp high five as, when you buy it. You know, and they're going to charge you more than the face value of the ticket, like the NFL will.
0: And you know, it, it, in the in the season of yes, and if this is all done, let's say within the singular like NFL app, then the NFL is driving downloads and usages and monthly visits to their app which then they can sell sponsorship within the app. I, I mean, now the wheels are turning. Now we're making money. Right. It's like we work for the NFL. Let's um jump ahead into the play topics and stay kind of in the football sense of things and other things that you and I have both studied. Um, this This conversation happens all the time, and it's a conversation of, situational football versus the growing argument for analytical football it's always put on display really every game especially in marquee games because there's always a decision made that somebody is saying the analytics told a coach to do this and then if it doesn't work out then there's always this big debate um and and for me it really brings into this argument of what is the correct mix of using analytics, but also understanding the situation of a game and and how do the analytics account for those situations?
1: Like, okay, first off, let's just break this down. What is analytics to you? Define what analytics are.
0: Well, the way it gets used is it's like a scenario planning to say, hey, in these situations on it with these conditions, so let's say, we'll use the example that kind of sparked us to talk about this. Packers are playing uh, the Buccaneers. It's the end of the game. The Packers are down eight points. There's two minutes left. They're in the red zone. It's a fourth down and eight, or it's fourth and goal from the eight. They decide to kick the field goal to go down five uh, instead of going for it on fourth and goal. So football analytics is putting together all of these scenarios and doing these decision trees to say, hey, if you go for it here, your percent, your ultimate percentage of winning is X.
1: Right and see and I guess uh, another yes and I guess we've already found the episode title here
0: uh makes but, my job a little easier
1: but I, I see I see analytics and this I'm taking this straight from Daryl Morey the former Rockets GM now GM of the Philadelphia 76ers a little sour note on the way he exited but anyway he always said that people get confused and say analytics is this deep dive into numbers and you ha- and kind of what percentage chance and all this crap no and he just says it's really trying to find an advantage finding trying to find a competitive advantage in any aspect of the game it, it, whatever point that is and so to your point about the going down 5 versus kicking the and kicking the field goal and going down 5 or going for it on fourth down they thought there was an advantage to kicking it as opposed to going for it kind of deal where but i think the difference is you see a lot of analytics in basketball and in baseball, a whole lot in baseball. And the difference between analytics there and analytics in football is just the amount of the sample size. Like mm-hmm. in ba- in basketball, there's hundreds of possession, a hundred possessions about per play per game per team and baseball. I mean, there's a hundred uh, at least 100 pitches. I mean,
0: 150 pitches probably? Yeah, ish.
1: I mean, ish. Uh, I mean, it's hard to tell. A starter can throw 100 pitches. Um, I mean, so there's so much sample size to pull data on. And so you're basically just saying these are the averages. These are when you do better in these situations. This guy hits the ball to the right 85% of the time. So shift. We're going to shift and put all of our defenders on the right because 85% of the time he hits it here and so we're getting an advantage you know what i'm saying yep and so in football that analytical stuff it it's kind of like one off situations during the game that that analytics are happening and so you'll people tend to lose their minds because the analytics don't hit every time like there is still that 15% that the analytics are wrong when the guy beats the shift in baseball or you know a three point shooter who shoots better from a certain spot on the floor misses at that spot. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And so I just think the sample size in football makes it, that transition to analytics and data and all that jazz harder in football.
0: Yeah. And man, I I think, I think you're right. And I also think that football, like I think at the beginning and on the outset, football analytics were used to understand tendencies. So if a team is, if a team plays, you know, com- lines up in their nickel package. Uh, what percentage of those plays are going to be blitzes? What percent are they going to drop into cover two, cover three, cover six, so on and so forth? Right. So they're right. using these tendencies. And then all of a sudden, it seemingly made a quick turn to like coaches going for it on every fourth down, it- especially at like the high school level. Like, absolutely. We're going to go for it on every fourth down. We're going to kick an onside every time because if you run all the numbers, it says that you have a better chance to win. We saw Chip Kelly doing a little bit in college, never going forward on fourth downs. Uh, And so I think the league is trying to use it to find these advantages in certain situations, but I think you have to be careful and understand, and and this is using analytics, not just in a sporting manner, but really in, in a business manner as well, where numbers are numbers in a vacuum. You have to be able to apply them to situations. And when you're making your decision, you have to mix those two. So let's go to the Packers situation here to bring it full circle. Maybe if they're playing my lovable Detroit Lions in week 16, maybe you do kick the field goal there because you say, eh, I feel pretty good that we're going to get a stop and get the ball back. But you weren't playing the Lions. You're playing Tom Brady, who right. is like the greatest quarterback of all time. And you're saying, yeah, we're going to give him the ball and we think we're going to stop him in three plays. When everybody else in the building says, do whatever you have to do to not give that guy the ball back. And if you do give him the ball back, it's because you've tied the game, not because you chose to still need to get the ball back and then go score another touchdown. So,
1: right. And when they also went for it at fourth and goal, even if they didn't get it, Tom Brady's pinned further back than starting at the 25. And it's and we both know from football, it's a lot harder when you're dropping back into your own end zone than when you get dropped back in the, at the 20.
0: Without a doubt, you got less room to move around. Now, right. Brady's out. We don't have to dive specifically into that situation, but I think it's important for people to understand that situational situations are situational, uh, and every analytic in the world, even as too, you know, I I like to be analytical heavy, uh, you still have to use those in context of the situation, and coaches take heat when they're wrong, and that's part of the game.
1: And I want to throw this out, because I, I think that this is something might be an early fire breather, but I think it ties in beautifully here. Okay. Uh, I, and I, first and foremost, I don't like uh, this generational breaking, like break between people. Like we're millennials, obviously. And then there's Gen Y and or we're Gen Y, but Gen X and boomers and all those people above us. And that's what the coaches are now. I, and I don't millennials catch a lot of heat and I don't think it's fair, but I think in all honesty millennials are better at situational coaching especially in football because we've played Madden so many times and just like we were talking about that sample size you've played so many games in Madden and it's created so many situations that you played that you know you know what to do in these situations more because you've had more experience with it in those situations you know what i'm saying so i am I'm, I'm, I'm arguing that millennials are better situational football coaches because we've been through artificial situations way more than boomer coaches have who are just playing an actual football game
0: yeah we've essentially gotten a free simulator to play as much as you want and these right. situations come up and you can be a little more a little more like loose in madden obviously you can go for it in situations you would never go for it, but regardless you're just being introduced to so many random events that may only happen like one time in a real football career but it might happen to you in madden every other game or something
1: like well that. not not even that if it happens one time in madden you usually will know what to do but it, because it, it if it happened you'll learn from it and do it again like the next time do it right or adjust whatever if it happens for the first time in your life in a real football game yeah it's panic and you see it all the time like coaches burn timeouts for no reason because they panic and they're like ah crap what do we do you know and so burn a timeout and then that timeout usually ends up costing you because you wish you had it at the end of a game
0: well and it's interesting to hear people in football and, and I'm talking like GMs and head coaches and and scouts and former GMs talk about how Coaching staffs, depending on how good the coach is at these game management situations, which this is kind of what we're talking about, essentially, sometimes they have to have somebody on staff up in the booth who is literally just in charge of game management and making sure things are uh, kind of happening correctly because it's so easy for a coach, whether they're an old school coach or even a new school coach who is just buried into a play calling sheet 24-7 because they got to make plays like they got to call plays within like 10 seconds of the the prior play happening that they lose track of the actual situations of the game and they get out of their head, right? So
1: Let me ask you that because we're here and I want to talk about this and I hate it. I I think this is one of the most inefficient forms of football, both at the professional level, college level, all over. I mean, you brought up the guy who sits up in the booth and calls timeouts for the team. There's also the get-back guy on the sideline. The most useless people, like useless, they're important, I understand, but that's what the head coach should be doing. If the head coach is calling plays, what is the offensive coordinator doing? Right. Like like if the head coach is calling the plays, then the offensive coordinator needs to be there with a clipboard slapping you on the ass and saying, hey, call timeout, call timeout. Like that one of them needs to do it. You don't need like, yes, I agree. The timeout calling and knowing situations is so important. But I'd argue that's what the head coach is for.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's hard because you sit here and it's like these coaches should be able to handle all of it at once. Like they, it it shouldn't have to be such segmented roles. But as we've both been in football buildings, we know that the quote unquote traditional football guy, they are so single and like narrow focused, especially within the setting of a game that I think they feel it necessary to have some of those other auxiliary pieces. And then we know that football guys or football people, I should say uh, are also known to be just creatures of habit and creatures of routine. So once that get back guy is on the sideline, he's not leaving the sideline. He's there. He's, he's got a free ride. We'll do a whole segment on him for McVay's get back guy.
1: And that, but that's just, that is such a colossal waste of money. It's so inefficient. Like as, as a head coach, run your team properly right you shouldn't need to get that guy get you, you because 99 percent of the time the get that guy is for the head coach anyway so get <laughs> control of yourself
0: now what about the auxiliary strength coaches especially in the college game who are uh the towel brigade
1: yeah and they're the towel brigade and the smelling salt crew I, like that's <laughs> really though i'm serious the, that's all they do is walk around with the smelling salts and give them to you
0: and then get the walk on guys and the guys in sweats, you know, the injured reserve, get flipping, them big
1: the with swag surfing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's awesome, but you're it's, right.
1: It's such a waste. Like that is such and they get paid six figures to wave a towel and open a jar of the most intense smelling stuff that'll mess your brain up for your entire life.
0: If you're in the third row, you might catch some of that.
1: I've no no kidding. And I'm don't care. While I was at one of the football programs I worked for, um, we had m- morning practice. So you'll know which one that is because one of the other programs didn't do morning practices. But I, it's four, four o'clock in the morning and I'm at the building and we roll into practice. I mean, I'm tired, tired, tired. And the strength coach walks up to me and he's like, hey, you need some? And I'm, I don't even know what he's talking about. I'm just so foggy, you know? and he's like, you need some? And I'm like, sure. I'd like just whatever. And he opens this jar and put, just throws it in my face. And it literally was like getting kicked in the nuts and punched in the throat at the same time I was, and drinking five gallons of coffee. Like it was just this wild, like my brain literally just like came to life. And I was like, this is, th- there's no way that's good for you. There's just <laughs> no way this is good for you
0: effective but damaging
1: very there's no way it like makes you cry it's so strong
0: i believe it i believe it i have uh i've seen it used in football buildings uh one of our loyal listeners who we won't name in this scenario but at a certain uh grad school beer olympics also Ah. was utilizing such substances uh to ensure great performance
1: yeah, it's almost it's. I think it should be in the PED category.
0: Yeah, it is interesting, and when you see it's, it's just a wild thing. Uh, you mentioned efficiency. You know, we've kind of hit on efficiency really in this entire play topic, and I think that transitioned us nicely into uh, the money move of the week that comes to us from producer Kennedy about a country uh, who has shown some better efficiency than maybe the U.S. has in their covid19 response that is australia
1: what does the u.s do efficiently
0: uh that is something that we probably don't have enough time to try and <laughs> power our brains to find an answer for
1: I'm, i don't think there is i really i'm trying to think chaos ah we're good at that I, I mean whew. anyway all right back to back to australia
0: so australia is hosting the australian open uh which is a tennis tournament and they are going to expect uh 30,000 spectators per day uh, at the event that's something that if you said that in the US people would probably like I, I mean it it gives me anxiety damn near right um and especially because you talk about tennis stadiums like that is damn near capacity and in, in fact it's going to be about 50% capacity when you compare that to american sports at max kind of hovering around 20 to 25% capacity at professional sports so good for our friends down under to be able to go and enjoy some live sports. And we will sit uh, enviously here in the great USFA.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I hope we're not too far behind. But uh, for some reason, I just, after watching what happened to the NHL, not a hockey podcast, but after seeing what's gone on in the NHL these past uh, few weeks, I'm less, less optimistic.
0: Now, somebody who is also maybe not so efficient is your fire breather of the week regarding uh the mlb hall let's of talk fame.
1: about this oh my gosh all right so real quick rundown uh so for the first time since 1960 um nobody was elect selected to join the baseball hall of fame uh this year uh Kurt Schilling was on the, was on the ballot. Barry Bonds was on the ballot. Roger Clemens was on the ballot just to name a few. Uh, baseball is a little different from the other sports, but we'll talk about the other sports in a minute. Baseball uh, to get into the Hall of Fame uh, you have it's you're selected by this secret very secret. nobody knows who's on it. secret panel of baseball writers of America okay uh, and you have to get acquire 75% of the vote of the baseball writers of America, uh, to be elected into the hall of fame. And I think one, that's an absolute joke that the baseball writers control the hall of fame, but two, uh, I'm not the only one who thinks that, um, Kurt Schilling, um, who is rather outspoken on a lot of issues and, you know, we won't dive into that, but he's been, he's famous for the bloody sock on the red Sox, uh, big, big time pitcher, um, Kurt Schilling wrote writes a letter uh, to Major League Baseball and to the Baseball writers of America, asking to be removed from the ballot because he dis- he wasn't elected this year and he did and he has one more year of eligibility. and he disagrees with the entire process saying that they didn't play the game and he should be judged by his peers as opposed to these anonymous baseball writers. do you let me ask you it just as kind of a, throw out question what are your thoughts on one the baseball writers controlling who's deemed worthy to be in the hall of fame or not
0: yeah i don't like it um because i think they're right i, I think you can be a really really great journalist uh for any sport but i think that that doesn't 100 percent mean that you um kind of have like the qualifications of understanding what it was like to play the game and what it meant to be a quote unquote like hall of fame worthy player um kind of on that note and on kurt Schilling talking about not wanting to even be on the ballot anymore i have kind of like different thoughts on i don't necessarily think that's the reason why he doesn't want to be on the ballot um but i think he does make a good point in that i think the majority of votes should come from players and managers because that's just the way it is like I don't know any other way to say it other than that. Who else to know who is deserving than your actual peers well, it, it's like at work in a work scenario. The people you work with are going to be the ones best qualified to put you up for a promotion. Not not somebody in a different department who never works with you, or or who maybe like has coffee chats with you every once in a while.
1: Yeah, but I would also my beef with it is that it's only the baseball writers making the 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 have the discretion to make the decision, and I think I would be equally upset if it was only the players and managers making the decision. I think that's my problem is you you've given this one small, really small, select group of people all the authority on who gets in and out. Whereas I think if it was a very diverse panel of people connected to baseball, because I, I don't think you have to have played professional baseball to understand baseball and be able to identify talent and tell who's good and who's not in baseball. But I think there's that I, as somebody who's never played professional baseball, have a different perspective than Kurt Schilling on right. the game. But at the same time, I can look at you and tell you, yeah, Kurt Schilling's one of the best to ever do it. Just like I can look at you and tell you, you know, steroids or not, which whatever, Barry Bonds is the home run king.
0: Yeah, I'm all for Barry Bonds. Being Dem,
1: hashtag 100%. Dems Defects. Like, <laughs> you can't, It's it, sorry. That's it, <laughs> And Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were juiced out of their mind. And without them, baseball wouldn't be here today.
0: Yeah, we saw a documentary on it damn near almost a year ago now
1: yeah and i i'm upset at that documentary too because they didn't even address steroids another another baseball sweeping everything under the rug thing and but yes it was a good documentary
0: but i agree i think that a panel of players writers managers you could throw owners you could throw league personnel like i think that it should be a diverse panel of people in the baseball world because the hall of fame should be a representation of the baseball world
1: absolutely and i think that's my problem with the hall of fame now tr- conversely basketball does it the other end they let everybody vote essentially and almost everyone gets in because of it and so the basketball the basketball hall of fame has just kind of everybody sees it as a joke it's cuz everybody gets in essentially because there is such a diverse large panel so that's the the other side of the coin
0: there there's an interesting kind of like argument there or dichotomy that i'm curious for your thoughts on because i've heard this as well as like we, people want the hall of fame to be very prestigious and by nature that would mean that it's very exclusive and you would have very small groups of people getting in on an annual basis so i think there's the um faction of people who see it like that and they hold it in like the highest regard and have very strict qualifications for players to get in I think there's also people who see the Hall of Fame as like the ultimate museum and encyclopedia of a sport. And if they view it that way, there's people who can get in for maybe, maybe not because they were the elite of the elite, but because of they what did they did a
1: huge event for the sport.
0: Yeah. Or, or maybe just the way they play it or whatever it may be. Right. It, it doesn't have to just be based on their, their specific body of work of statistics is like through the roof. So I think there's just two factions of, of how people view the hall of fame. I don't necessarily think either are wrong. Um, but I think that kind of leads to the differences in like voting practices from an individual perspective.
1: Yeah. And I, I agree. And I, to your point, when you, when we, you know, we're saying you need a more diverse panel in baseball, when you do get a more diverse panel in order to keep it that prestigious, thing you need some figurehead to make sure everybody's on the same page like hey we're not gonna just let everybody in and open the floodgates you need to have like maintain this level of whatever level of prestige if you, to 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 the hall of fame here so you got to get a bunch of different factions of people on the same page that this is the bar for a hall of famer which is harder to do
0: Yeah, I I think it'll be interesting because I think it'll continue to be kind of a fluid situation throughout the rest of our lives. Um, So I'll be interested to see how the voting practices do or don't adapt. And and if the classes each year get larger, smaller, if we have more years where people aren't voted in, um, so on and so forth. So we talked about a level of prestige, right? The best of the best. And sometimes, almost always, the Super Bowl halftime performance. What
1: a transition.
0: Featuring the best of the best in entertainment for that year. Uh, This year, we got the weekend. You may have seen like the 8,000 commercials about it. I'm excited for the weekend. Am I I alone? It'd be pretty good if I had to guess. I'm pumped for it.
1: Yeah, I am too. I got to tell you, like, for I don't know, I've been, I'm, I'm excited for the weekend. Let's just say that more excited than I have been in the last handful of years.
0: Yeah, and to be fair, like to be honest, I haven't listened to the weekend's entire like discography by any means. He's not in my like main listens, uh, but anything that I do hear, banger, straight banger. I yeah,
1: I'm a I'm a fan. I Like he's he's my very much. I mean, this is gonna be, you know, whatever confessional, cut back confessional. But like when I'm studying though on the weekend, and I can just crank out some studying, you know, oh, yeah, the, back in the day when I did do studying
0: the musical aspect of his music uh if if that makes sense to people is pristine i mean it's top-notch
1: agreed so ian gave a kind of a lovely teaser uh you know that's what he does he's a bit he's a professional tease uh <laughs> on the fantasy what the fantasy five is this week uh for those who don't know fantasy five where have you been first off but welcome in to the hundreds and thousands uh fantasy five each week ian and i pick a topic uh we pick Two teams of five, pit them against each other, social media, see who has the best team. This week, the topic, oh, and we do use the snake system. For the people in the back, we do use the snake system because it separates us from the animals and we live in a society. And this week, as you kind of alluded to, is uh, Super Bowl halftime performances.
0: Yes, yes. This was a tough list to put together because I uh, forget these more often than I realized.
1: I would like to throw one caveat in, and you can disagree if you'd like but I would like to throw a caveat. I think we should limit it to Super Bowl halftime shows that we have been alive for.
0: Yes, and that is, uh, my list is only made up of those anyways, so. Okay,
1: perfect, mine too. So we're, we're only doing those that we have been alive for. That is, for me, the year 1993. I believe that's, what, 92 for you?
0: Uh, yes, but I was born after the 1992 Super Bowl, so the 93 Super Bowl would have been my first as well. Okay, perfect. So, let's get into it. I won a complete nail biter by two votes last week in Where
1: Ar- were you people? I needed my posse out.
0: I can tell you they weren't on Twitter because it was a tie on the on the gram.
1: Gosh, darn it. Well, that <laughs> is
0: disappointing. Seemann's 25 has got to get a little more active on the Twitter, I guess.
1: Yeah, you really do. Throw me a follow. Come on, people. What are we doing?
0: Um, but because I honestly like didn't have a far and away favorite i'm gonna go ahead and let you take uh, oh that problem.
1: is your the biggest mistake you've ever made i this was the first fantasy <laughs> five that i can adamantly say there is a clear no doubt about it number one and you messed up give me prince give me purple rain when it is the deluge that was in miami in 2007 it's rain raining so hard in miami They go in to tell Prince in the locker room, hey, Prince, it's raining. And he goes, I know. And they go, what do you want us to do about it? And he goes, see if you can make it rain harder. (laughs) One of the best stories of all time, one of the best performances of all time. Give me Prince, 2007 Super Bowl.
0: I'll take it. It was on the list for sure. Um, I noticed that he also had the Florida A&M marching band. Big fan of having live marching bands, especially – Uh, The down south colleges who do marching band a little differently and in a way that I 100% prefer. Also glad that you mentioned the year. I want to make sure that we do that because otherwise there's really no way to fucking tell when or where these were happening.
1: Correct. And there's been multiple people have done it more than once.
0: True. Some double dippers. Those are the elite of the elite.
1: They are. Well, I don't know if I'm ready to call them that. When (laughs) When you learn the list of who's double dipped, I don't know that I'm ready to call them that
0: okay so i'll dive in with two picks here um the first one is 2013 great pick from a double dipper herself this was her first appearance beyonce and a special guest appearance by destiny's child
1: Woo-hoo-hoo! yeah great pick uh that that was number two on my big board uh great pick like that one broke the internet
0: broke it It damn near broke my heart um i'm gonna go my second pick is gonna be one that damn near stopped my heart and the heart of millions that was 2004 janet jackson justin timberlake uh, a little wardrobe malfunction
1: i was at this super bowl
0: okay i gotta get to that next because i was unaware of that but everybody knows about janet jackson justin timberlake they forget that they also had nelly Kid Rock, p diddy and jessica simpson that is a powerhouse nelly played hot in here
1: he did i yeah it did happen all of that, that is happened. awesome <laughs> <laughs> the, that just that the only thing the sad part is that was just a stacked lineup in that super bowl halftime show only gets remembered for the wardrobe malfunction
0: yeah so you were at that Super Bowl? I was.
1: It was in Houston. It was uh, two seat. Well, I guess one full season after uh, the house that Andre Johnson built was completed in, uh, for NRG Stadium. For those that that went over your head, uh, and so I, my family, we've been season ticket holders to the Texans since their inception, uh, <laughs> and they so tickets came around and uh, we went to the Super Bowl. So that was my first ever championship experience like first ever championship game of any kind that I've ever been to. Um Who, who so was in the Super Bowl? That was New England and Carolina, the Jake Delhomme yeah. Panthers and Vinatieri makes the kick at the end. That's that Super Bowl.
0: Funny stat now that you mentioned that. Um just in that game Jake DeLome has more yards on passing passing touchdowns than Tom Brady has in his entire Super Bowl career.
1: So are you ready to call Jake to the goat?
0: Nope. Nope. I am <laughs> not. Uh, another funny tidbit about that game that I'm just reading here, the sponsor of the halftime show, AOL Top Speed.
1: Ooh. Was that, <laughs> wait, hold on. Was that, was that the AOL Top Speed? RIP, moment of silence for them. Thank you. Um, was that everyone's internet or was that a different deal?
0: I, I think that was.
1: I th- Yeah, I think that was everyone's internet too. But gosh, dang, man. Millennials, everyone's internet. Catch a new wave. It's everyone's internet.
0: AIM, man. Watch oh,
1: the, that. Oh, I used to. Mm, good times. I had the worst handle in in on AIM, but anyway, moving on. Next, um, I'm gonna I got I'm gonna take I got number one and number two, uh, number three on my big board, um, and I'm going recently, just because the shock and awe value from this. I'm taking J Lo and Shakira in 2020. Nice, And the reason why, because I was going in with very low expectations and they were blown away. Absolutely blown away. Uh, for two ladies who have, let's just say are maybe in their golden years, uh, put on a show. And I, it, I think me just coming in with those low expectations, uh, was just absolutely flabbergasted by the work they did. So that, that went in. So taking them, uh, next you took a stacked lineup uh, in 2004 i'm going to take the original stacked lineup and i think it was the first stacked lineup of the millennium and that's 2001 when aerosmith britney spears mary j blige and insync
0: took the stage wow. in
1: 2001
0: that is quite that is quite the list of people there
1: I, yeah find me find me anywhere you're going to have a list of those kind of just bang, eclectic list of just bangers
0: from there. It is quite the list of bangers. I do want to go back to Shakira and J-Lo quickly because you said they are in their golden years. It reminded me of one of my favorite sayings of all time. This comes from my guy, Charlemagne the God. Shakira and J-Lo are out here aging like a fine wine while the rest of us are aging like the milk in the back of your fridge.
1: Yes, I've got some mold on me for sure. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay so let's see i'm gonna continue going on down my line here my next one i'm gonna take is uh 2015 this was katie perry you're Lenny taking Pat, the shark the sharks and missy Elliott. oh man just because it was it was, so, was meme worthy you know it, 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 yeah it, the memes dominated the show
1: like the shark was better than the actual performance
0: listen he or the shark male or female saw their opportunity took it national hero so do you want Katy perry or do you want the shark (laughs) they're one and the same to me bud (laughs) same show
1: (laughs) same show okay fine i'll allow it
0: and then next i am actually uh live switching orders on my big board here and i'm gonna go with 2019 maroon 5 travis scott big boy and the georgia state marching band wow that
1: is okay see i gotta be completely honest and and i could catch some heat for this but i don't really care uh big boy saved saved that that super bowl performance for me like it was Uh, a it was a stinker an absolute stinker until big boy came out
0: big boy did a great job for sure and uh really took it over the edge for me and big boy alone is worthy of a spot on my big board
1: yeah, but I mean, dang, big Maroon Five, gosh, they poke so many holes in that ship. It's I don't. Anyway, moving on. Um, all right, I'm. I, this is where it kind of the rubber hits the road. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna round out my squad, and I've got a controversial decision. Uh, I'm gonna take Michael Jackson in '93. And I will be honest, I don't remember this live, but I went, I was too young, but I did go back and watch it in the video and love him or hate him, how, you know, all the stuff Michael Jackson did, the man can dance and perform a show. So I'm taking Michael Jackson in 93.
0: Okay, fair enough. And what are you going to round out with?
1: I'm rounding out with uh, Madonna in 2012
0: okay yep
1: i i don't i just can't bring myself to bring the other to select the other person uh so i'm taking madonna into in 2012
0: period Um, what about her uh her crew that she had you gonna show them any love
1: uh who am i missing
0: she was flanked by lmfao a young Nicki minaj and oh yeah i forgot
1: Nicki minaj was in that pretty good show I did. I did. Yeah. Forgot Nicki Minaj. CeeLo was in that?
0: CeeLo Green did have a, a short appearance. It looks like as I'm looking here, uh, he performed two songs with Madonna.
1: Huh. Well, I, I get, I'll i just take the bonus credit. I don't even remember CeeLo being in that, but let's I'll take it. Maybe I, a better, Maybe a better pick than I thought it was going to be. <laughs>
0: just really stealing them okay i'm gonna go back to the one that i originally flopped on my big board um and this is 2011 it's the black eyed black eyed peas uh and they featured usher and slash
1: oh i thought the black eyed peas were terrible absolutely terrible in their in their performance
0: listen again you got usher and you got slash out there Good for me i'm looking at the song list that they played and i know if you I-
1: listen to it like they were so bad live Didn't all you- three of them
0: i can hear it in my head
1: <laughs> yeah it sounds better in your head than it does live
0: uh, it's gonna look great on <laughs> the big board uh let's run down maybe just the years i had 2013 2004 2015 2019 2011.
1: mr munns go ahead i had uh 2007 the deluge 2020 2001 1993 great year and 2012.
0: now when we look at this Super Bowl last week we were both leaning towards Kansas City anything change for you there
1: no still sw- still slightly in Kansas City but I just it's so hard to bet against Tom Brady
0: yeah I I agree but I I do if the gun was to my head I'm gonna take Kansas City I'm looking forward to what I am, am hoping could be a, a pretty awesome football game uh from any way that you want to slice it up
1: i think we've had a bit a pretty good run of the past handful of years of good super bowls
0: yeah the rams patriots one was a blah. little
1: and then the broncos seahawks one was pretty blah when they when the broncos blew out the seahawks
0: yep and similarly with the broncos and uh cammy cam and the and the panthers but th- this is good football that we're talking about for the most part
1: for the most part, I'm I'm excited. It should be a good game. Um and I'm just, you know, it's Super Bowl. It's like an American staple.
0: Uh Super Bowl Monday should be a corporate holiday, putting that out in the world now. Yeah, um, what what is Biden doing? Why didn't why hasn't that happened yet? Yeah, we need an executive order stat. Yeah, um Come on, Mayor Pete, get it done. It's it's dinger season for you, so we want to get you out of here so you can go put some into right field maybe uh when they shift to left field
1: I can't hit it to the right literally can't hit it to the right I like I do I I think it is impossible for me to physically hit a baseball to the right field I hey,
0: find, find the green baby close your stance
1: <laughs> I can't I even when I close my stance I'm poking them to left
0: <laughs> Wait on it wait on it <laughs> Um so episode 37 one quick athlete came to mind for me, that's former Seattle Seahawks running back Sean Alexander.
1: I had the exact same one. I, so that's perfect.
0: Awesome. I love it. Shout out to our guy Bobby Salami, uh Bobby Golfballs Hot Rob.
1: Hot Rob? He's he's 37 years old?
0: No, but he's from Gig Harbor.
1: Oh, I thought he was 37 years old. That would have been that would have been hype.
0: He might be, I guess. I'm not exactly sure, but ju- Just is Hot the-
1: is Hot Rob, one of the hundreds of thousands
0: Uh, I don't know. Honestly, probably not, but
1: (laughs) shout out hot Rob. If you're listening, (laughs) he should be, (laughs) he should be. We've called you hot Rob on the air. People are going to be looking you up
0: facts. Good luck finding him (laughs) (laughs) hot Rob. (laughs) Anything else before we get out of here this week?
1: Uh, you know, I'm just excited for the Super Bowl. Happy to be here and it's, and it's black history month. So celebrate it up
0: facts till next time though ladies and gentlemen boys and girls fellow degenerates like mr Munson and myself this has been episode number 37 of the cutback podcast it is super bowl week until after the super bowl keep your head on a swivel try not to get laid the fuck out